Hello there. Recently, I was involved in a roundtable experience with Kevin Smith and his daughter Harley Quinn Smith as part of the 70th Edinburgh International Film Festival. Kevin and his daughter were in the city promoting yoga hosers, and I think you'll find that Kevin is a really quiet guy most of the time, but somehow we managed to get a few words out of him. Harley was also eventually given an opportunity to speak. So, sit back, kill an hour, and enjoy. How's everybody? Alright, good. Mrs. Smith, is this kind of a new direction in your work with? It is absolutely a new direction, my work. Not a a great direction for a lot of people. Um, These movies are a little bit different than what I call the early better movies of mine that everybody loves. Uh, But these are the movies that I've been telling people for a few weeks now. This task. Well done. Uh, Tosk and Yoga Hosers are kind of movies, uh, they're very masturbatory films, I admit that right off the top. Sounds weird to say in front of my teenage kid, and including the fact she's in it, it sounds even weird. But they're movies where I'm just trying to please myself. That's what I tried to do with Clerks, I didn't think about the audience, I never thought about this, like, people will want to talk about it, or people will buy tickets, I just wanted to make that movie see it. That's why it exists at all. So it started my career at a certain point once Clerks was made, got picked up by Miramax and absorbed into the Disney machines because Disney owned Miramax at that point. Suddenly, fucking, I went from like, oh, I just want to see this movie to don't make anything until they pay you. We pay you to make pretend now. This is fucking, you've won the lottery of life. So don't create unless you're getting paid. And that's what it became. Suddenly, I just, instead of like, ooh, let me do this, let me do this, it was like, well, this is a script, let's get money for it, let's make that, when that's done, we'll do this process again. So the notion of, like, podcasting, which I've been doing for 10 years now, reintroduced the joy of creation for the sake of creation. You're not sitting there going, how do I get paid, or what is my, this is how I earn, this is my nut, this is how I pay all my bills, so I have to go to work and make a film. Suddenly, like, you're making art just for the sake, you're making self-expression. I hate to use the term art because it's so fucking alienating for some people because they're like, oh, art. It's not art, self-expression. I found a very inexpensive, very easy, very fast way to self-express that wasn't ridiculous. Filmmaking, I love it to death, and it's given me everything in life, but filmmaking one of the most ridiculous art forms on the planet. If I was a painter, I would take a blank wall or canvas, I'd put some color on it, you'd know exactly how I felt inside. If I was a singer, I'd open up my voice, belt out a fucking tune, and you would know exactly how I was feeling inside. But as a filmmaker, you say ridiculous shit like this. I need to self-express. Give me $20 million and Ben Affleck. Like, shit like that is ridiculous. Whereas podcasting, you just sit down and start talking. That's primal. It takes you back to the fireside, where it's just like, let me tell you the hunting story of the day or something like that. So going to do that for 10 years suddenly reteaches you your craft. And it also teaches you, since podcasting is a free medium, that there is no reward. There's no monetary incentive for this creation. It's just play, bitch. Make pretend. This is what you wanted in the first place. So when I got back to doing that, I was like, oh, yeah, all right, let me figure out how to do this. Like, I stepped away from filmmaking for three years, so it allowed me to get that heroin of paid uh, fun out of my system. Because that's what it's like, dude. When somebody's like, here's money to make pretend, that's like getting addicted to heroin. You're just like, holy shit, what's better than fucking this? One day, the heroin dries up. You can't do that anymore, and you have to withdraw and get it out of your system. So after Red State for three years, I didn't make a film. I just went and podcasted and live podcasted and toured and we did TV shows like uh, Comic Book Men. And suddenly I learned how to pay for my family and my house and shit. 
doing other things other than prostituting my art. Always bugged me, man. Filmmaking like brought me to the world, gave me everything, introduced me to places that I would never, I was never going to fucking come to Scotland. My family was too poor. We were never going to Europe or anything like that. And filmmaking brought me there, man. And then what did I do? As soon as that film got picked up, I put it to work like a prostitute, man. Like that's how I earn. So we'll make a movie and that's how I'll pay my bills and shit. I always felt like that was weird, presuming upon the friendship that I built with self-expression to make my living, but that that was it. That was like, if you're gonna do this with all your time, you gotta get paid to do it. So I figured out a different way to do that. I could go up on stage and just fucking talk about making movies. I don't even make movies anymore, just talk about having made it, and someone will pay me for that. That helps me pay my bills, and that means in the movie world, I never have to sit and go, what do they wanna see? What's popular? What's gonna sell? And I started doing that in my career, and that way lies ruined. Jersey Girl is an example of somebody going, what works in the world? Because I'm out of the ideas that I have, and my shit obviously doesn't mainstream it, so what would be mainstream? Zach and Mary make a porno, I love that movie, but it's an example of me going, Judd Apatow is doing well telling the same types of stories that I used to tell, so maybe I'm gonna dive back in it. This is all strategy. This is all thinking too hard about art, you know what I'm saying? That's when you're not just thinking about the thing you're trying to build, but you're also trying to think about the life that's going to have until the moment you die and how it has to support you and yours and how you have to get people their money back if they've invested. So all that becomes really fucking like big. Suddenly the notion of just making, making pretend, having fun shit like we did in the beginning goes away. So you've got one or two things to do. Either you keep that shit very low budget or you kind of force yourself to do it for fun again and get rid of that notion of uh, only if I'm paid. Like Prince was a prime example of this, the artist uh, that, that we lost, um, who I met very briefly a long fucking time ago and worked with him, told a story about him shit, and regret that I didn't spend better time with the dude. You know, I spent time with him and left and told a story about it. I stood at the hem of greatness, fuck shit, sat at the hem of, hem of greatness. Motherfucker was one of the greatest artists that ever lived on this planet and stuff. And I got to spend a week with him. And all I did afterwards was tell a story about how I spun, spent a week with him. Funny anecdote and shit like that. Instead of nurturing myself with this fantastic artist who, quite like me, was always trying to figure out how to get around the system, how to circumvent a corporation to get his art directly into the hands of his audience and stuff like that. Or getting to a place where he's like, I'm not working anymore because they, I've got a contract that says one album a year, but I want to do 20 and shit like that. So that dude inspired me uh, in a big, bad way. And it took years later for me to kind of put it into to focus where I'm like, okay, if I can support myself by just going out and talking now, then I should save film for the shit I really want to do. Because I could tell a story anywhere at this place. It used to just be film was the only way I could tell a story. But in a world where I could do a thousand stories a week on a podcast or something like that, Maybe I should save film for shit that really matters to me. And oddly enough, this is the shit that really matters to me. A lot of people are going, how? This makes no sense. These are the movies I grew up watching. Like, that's all you really need to understand in order to understand Tusk and Yoga Hosers. They're not some guy going like, let me fucking trick the world. Or some people are like, fuck, he's having a go at us or something. No, these movies come from the place where I first experienced movies, in the temple of my home, watching cable TV when it first came in in the early 80s. And then the advent of the Betamax and the VCR, where we could watch all the video nasty you wanted. As I grew up as a child, I did not like movies like Clerks and Mallrats. They didn't exist. I liked movies like Reanimator, From Beyond, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, uh, American Werewolf in London, Halloween. Like These movies were my religion. When I became a filmmaker, it wasn't oddly enough, because I watched those movies and said I could do that, because those movies seemed like they required talent. People in makeup. 
blood effects, shit like that. When I saw Richard Linklater's Slacker, that movie seemed doable to me. And I've been a lifelong fan of film my whole life at this point. My 21st birthday, I go see Slacker, and I said, Jesus, this counts? This guy's singing his song in the middle of nowhere. He ain't New York, he ain't New Jersey, or New Jersey's nowhere as well. He ain't New York, he ain't Los Angeles making movies where movies predominantly were made. He's in Texas, Bumblefuck, Texas. Turned out to be Austin's capital, Texas. I didn't know that. <laughs> Little ignorance goes a long way sometimes. And that's good. If I'd known that, well, he's around college people and he's around equipment and shit, of course he made a movie, then I wouldn't have tried mine. But he sang his song in the middle of fucking nowhere. He's brave enough to tell this story that didn't look like any other movie I ever saw. No three-act structure, had no movie stars, no car chases, no fucking plot whatsoever. I said, this counts? Shit, man, if this counts as a movie, I would like to try to make a movie. Because I sat amongst that audience, and I loved that movie. It was my faith. It was my religion. It changed my life. But the one thing that I remember thinking, I viewed it with a mixture of awe and arrogance. All because I'd never seen anything like it before in my life, and I knew something was happening to me that was changing me. Because I knew that I'd never fucking discovered anything about who I was in the classroom or fucking church, but I knew I discovered a lot about me in the arts, man. I'd sit in the movie theater to see myself reflected sometimes in literature, in music, in TV. So I watched it with a mixture of awe because I was like, fuck, I've never felt this before. And arrogance because I was like, if this fucking counts as filmmaking, I think I can make a film too. People around me were laughing hysterically, like knee slapping. And I was like, Jesus, I think this is fun, but I don't think it's knee-slappingly funny. If they think this is knee-slappingly funny, I think I could be fucking funny, too. And that started me on the fucking journey. So now, years later, I like going to make movies that I grew up wanting to make. The movies that, to me, ironically, feel like they require talent to make. Most people, critics, would say the opposite. <laughs> These movies are not fucking good, and they don't take talent shit. I get it. I understand. I am mad. This is an internal thing. This is like, for me, the artist. And, if, and I hate using that term because it alienates people. This is, for me, the self-expressor. But this is how this self-expressor began this journey. And I'll be fucked if I ain't going to finish the journey that way. I got a little lost in the middle because, you know, sometimes you get bad information. It wasn't horrible information, but it was just like, oh, don't work. Don't create anything until you get paid. I ain't that person, man. Quite like Prince, like an untalented, unmusical Prince. I like to produce as much as I fucking can. I want to leave a fucking vault with a hundred years worth of material in it, just like Prince did. I don't think I'll be able to do that because I'm not as prolific or as talented. But fuck, man, I don't ever want to not create because I'm like, what, I'm not getting paid? Well, fuck this shit. That's not what got me here in the first place. It was create or die. There's two paths in this world. There's creation and there's destruction. And the destruction path is full. Full of fucking people, man. It's full of people that want to tear shit down, make fun of fucking shit. Uh, shit on shit, destroy shit. Like, you can't move on the fucking destruction path that's so crowded. Creation path is wide open. There's nobody there. There's a couple dudes. You see them, the same people, over and fucking over again. It's wide open because it takes too much. It takes too hard to create something. It's easier to sit around and comment on shit than it is to create something from scratch. So I like to do that. I like to kind of create something from scratch. And for a while, I didn't do it unless I was paid. And now I'm just like, now I'll do it for, you know, because it's fucking Tuesday. And we'll figure out money later on. You know what I'm saying? It's not about like, well, will this do? The only money I really think about when creating art, particularly when creating fucking movies at this point, is how to get the investors their money back. That's my only responsibility and stuff. Um, when an audience member buys a ticket, they take their chances and stuff. And let's be honest, most of my audience wants to do shit for free on the internet anyway. So at the end of the day, who I have to be responsible for, the money, monetary portion of the equation, is the financiers. So I keep my budgets very low. Fucking, you know, Yogo's is a $4 million movie. 
with foreign sales and shit like that, everyone's going to be fine. They ain't going to get rich, but nobody expected to get rich off this movie. When you invest in any film, it's kind of like buying a scratch-off ticket. You sit there going, like, this could be huge, or it could be fucking nothing, but at the end of the day, at least I'll satisfy my urge to see something come to life. Yoga was made with uh, the same sort of spirit that Tusk was made. Uh, Demarask made that movie. Um, Starstream made Yogozers, but the guy who headed up Demarest, uh, who financed Tusk, when he came to speak, speak to me about making the movie, I was going to finance it myself. He's like, I read this script. You write this script? I said, it depends. Am I in trouble? He said, yeah. And I said, no, I wrote it. And he goes, don't worry, man. I, I want to finance this movie. I said, why the fuck would you want to finance this movie? The fact that you want to put money into this movie about a guy who makes another guy into a walrus makes me fucking suspect of even being in business with you, to be honest with you. And the dude had the greatest answer I'd ever, respond, I'd ever heard in my life from a patron. I just want to see if you could do it. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever read in my life. He's going, but if we get this right, it'll be amazing. If we get it wrong, we'll have stories to tell for the rest of our lives. But imagine if we got it right. I was like, dude, I'm with fucking you. Well, let's try that. So for me... It's, it's a different time, but it looks exactly like the time that I started in. You know what I'm saying? As much as I'd like to say, this is a whole different direction for me, and everybody else is very fond of saying it's a big different direction for me. I look up there and I see the same shit that I did in the beginning because they're both made with the same spirit. You couldn't find two more different movies than Clerks and Tusk or Clerks and Yoga Hosers, even though they share a convenience store as a setting. But the spirit with which they were made and stuff, the intent, that's the same exact blueprint, man. The idea of, I just want to see it. And, you know, I keep the budget low enough where everyone's covered, then it don't matter if the whole world don't go to see it today. But they'll see it later. Like, that's the thing. I've been around long enough to know that if they don't see it today, just hang out a minute. Mall rats. Nobody saw mall rats. It cost us $5 million to make. We made $2 million when it opened up. That was it. Died went straight to home video. Now that's the movie that people talk to me about the most, and that's that. That movie's got such a long tail. We're making a series of it now, a TV series. So you never know what it is. Like in the moment, I've lived long enough where I don't get mad anymore. People, like, I used to get mad at critics when they attacked the flicks because the flicks used to be pulled from my real life. Like Clerks, I worked at that store. That was me. I was Dante. My friend Brian was fucking Randall. Mall rats, I hung out at that mall. Like, same fucking things. Chasing Amy, I dated that girl. Those are my life stories and stuff. So when critics would go after those movies, it felt like they were going after my life personally. Because that was the only way I knew how to job, do the job back in the day. Steal from my own life, put it up on screen. Now I'm in a phase where I'm like, oh, I don't fucking steal from my own life anymore. My own life is fucking boring. I just make movies for a living. So if I were to make movies about making movies, that's very masturbatory. Way more <laughs> masturbatory than what I'm doing right now. So now I'm kind of in this place where I'm like, let me just make shit up, man. Like fucking, my favorite filmmakers when I was a kid, Lucas, Spielberg, Cronenberg, fucking David Lynch. These guys, like David Lynch didn't go, hey, you know why I made Elephant Man? Because that happened to me in high school. No, fucking, and, and David Cronenberg wasn't like, the fly, that shit happened to me and my ex-girlfriend. These guys just made some shit up. So now I'm at a stage in my career where I'm like, let me just make some shit up. That's how other people do this job. This seems kind of fun. And in doing so, I can make the movies that I grew up loving and watching, man. Uh, Reanimator, From Beyond, shit like that. I love Clerks, I love Marth, I love Chasing Amy. They started my career, but that's what I could do. I couldn't make these movies yet, and a lot of critics will tell you you shouldn't have ever made them. But that's like saying I should have ever made Clerks. It's subjective, right? Like I remember we had a screening of Yoga Hosers in New Orleans, touring the movie around. During the Q&A, and I told them before the movie, I was like, 
There's no right way to receive this movie. There's no right answer. If you don't like it, believe me, you're totally entitled to it. So this movie's very much for me, so I would understand if you don't like it. So I've had people come up to me and fucking say, Tusk is the most brilliant film you've ever made. And I'm like, isn't it? And I've had people come up to me and be like, Tusk is a piece of shit and you owe me money. I'm like, isn't it? So I cover both ways. So I told the audience that after the movie during the Q&A, there was a guy that got up and he was like, remember when you said there were people who weren't going to like this movie? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm one of those. I was like, right on, man. Tell me about it. And he's just like, I think this movie never should be made. I think it's objectively terrible. And I was like, well, I could agree with you on objectively terrible. Well, I might say subjectively, but whatever. You're totally entitled to your opinion. You paid money. You paid more money to see this than you paid to see a normal movie. So you're totally entitled to say whatever you want. Because people kept trying to shut him down. There's a motherfucker in line behind him going, you want me to kick his ass? I'm like, fuck no. He's just talking about the movie. Let him say what he wants. But the dude was like, I think you should never should have made this movie. And I was like, all right, that's where we differ. You're totally cool to not like this movie, man. But like saying that you should, you feel it shouldn't have been made, all these other people fucking have a good time, dude. Like just because this ain't your cup of tea doesn't mean that it's fucking not everyone else's cup of tea. I'll, say, I'll tell you what, I've been doing this job 22 years of my life. There are motherfuckers who hated Clerks. He's like, that's impossible. Clerks is a great film. I was like, you say that. But I can introduce you to a lot of people who said that movie's a piece of shit and I ruined cinema. And they still feel it today. <laughs> Who's right? Who's wrong? Doesn't fucking matter. I can't win over everybody. Can't make everybody like what I'm going to do. So I stopped trying. At a certain point, my career was all about like please the critics because we came up through Miramax and Harvey Weinstein raised us. Me, Quentin, fucking Robert, everybody in the Miramax family. You fucking be, you kneel at the altar of critics because that's the only way anyone ever hears about these fucking movies. So for a long time in my career, I would make movies for them. And that's not how I got started. I made a movie for me, and that introduced me to the world. Mallrats chasing Amy, those are for me. Then I started making stuff for other people. Well, Dogma was for me as well. Then I started making stuff for other people. So now, I'm just making it for me again, because that's what put me in the pure place. And that's what got me here in the first place. And I know that way lies ruin. That means that you're going to lose a lot of people who are like, I like what you used to fucking do. Life is long. Like, I don't get nervous anymore. I used to get nervous when people are like, I don't like what you do anymore. Now I'm just like, you wait a minute, it's going to change. I've been here long enough where, like, I don't even do the same shit I used to do last fucking week. So, at the end of the day, if you don't like this, thanks for taking the ride you've taken so far. I hope you jump back on the bus somewhere in the future. But I get it. I'm in a place right now where I'm doing something for me. Maybe it's not for you. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be made, though. That's crazy talk. Like, that's madness. Telling somebody they shouldn't self-express, that's crazy. Like, why would you want to take away someone's voice? You may not like the movie. That's great. It's your prerogative shit on it. Say whatever you want. But to turn around and tell a motherfucker, you never should have made this. That's ridiculous. So I was like, dude, I can't give you your time back. I feel bad. Clearly, you feel like you've wasted 85 minutes and shit like that. So I can't give you your time back. I said, I can't give you your money back. So I pulled out 40 bucks. I put it on the speaker. And I was like, that is totally yours, dude. He goes, I don't want that. And I was like, please. It will make me feel so much better to know that you at least got your fucking loot back. Like I said, can't give you your time. Can't give you your dimes, man. He's like, no, I don't want that. And I was like, dude, seriously. Like, it is no strings attached. This is for you. And he didn't. He walked away, sat back in his seat, and did this. <laughs> and I was like, you don't understand, dude. There's, this is a prize. Like, this allows you to go tell the story for the end of your, from now until the end of your life. Where you're like, not only did I tell that fat piece of shit I hated his movie, I made me give him my money back. <laughs> I said, you're missing out on something. He goes, no, he just wanted to fucking sit there and hate it. It was worth $40 to sit there and fucking hate it. And, you know, as much as I... Would I'd like it better if he, you know, paid forty bucks and loved it or something like that? That's art, man. Like sometimes you get a fucking strong reaction. That reaction is as good as somebody being like, "I fucking love this movie. I love this movie because this reminds me of Critters." And I saw Critters when I was a kid with my father in the theater. It was one of the greatest days in my life. 
That story equals the same story as the guy in the audience going, I fucking hate you for making this. Because you've gotten passion out of somebody. You know how difficult it is to get somebody to fucking hate anything in this world that's not like, say, Donald Trump? <laughs> like, and it's just an artistic expression. Like, even if I don't consider that a failure, I don't want to make people upset. But if somebody gets their dander up like that, you've hit the right space. And I guarantee you what happens in 5, 10, maybe 15 years, I get that person back. People that hated Clerks today tell me about how much they hated it. Because I was in fucking film school and I watched that movie and you broke every fucking rule that they told us we had to follow. And somehow you were fucking popular because of it. So I hated that movie. But now, I understand it and I watch it and I want to be that fucking person who does the same thing. Just does whatever they want to do. I love my audience because they love the fact that that I just kind of go out there and try every time. I don't give a shit that people are like, you suck at this. So what? They've been saying that shit for 22 fucking years. 22 years of my career, people have been telling me how bad I am at this job. Do you realize how ironic that is? For 22 fucking years, I've been told that I'm terrible at this job. Let me say that again. For 22 years. If you're bad at a job, you're out in a fucking year, dude. They don't give you 22. And guess what? Nobody gives you anything in this life. You have to take it for yourself. So I built myself a little world where I can make my weird shit and, and I've got a, a large enough audience that'll kind of support it and stuff so that I go about my business and every once in a while the price I got to pay for telling the stories I want to tell is some stranger will tell me I suck at my job or I've done this wrong. Somebody who's never done it themselves, that's cool, I don't give a shit anymore. I, that's a small price to pay. Are you kidding me? Fucking like what? I'm going to wait for universal approval to tell a story? It'll never get told. Never in a million years. So it's worth it, man. Like, sometimes you got to cross a bridge to get to where you're going. And that bridge, the bridge where people are like, this sucks, and you ain't like you used to be. I'll cross that bridge, because at least the other side of that bridge is the thing I desperately wanted to make. Because what's the alternative? That's what I always tell myself. Like, all right, like, fucking, we went to Sundance. M movie played great, Yogozer's did, and the critics were like, fuck you, and fisted the movie really hard and shit for the next two days. We expected that, and I didn't, you know, it didn't fucking phase me or anything like that. But in a moment like that, sometimes you read like fucking the sixth terrible review and shit. One said, he put his daughter in this movie and that's tantamount to child abuse or something like that. It's a clever line. It's funny. But when you read that, you're like, fuck, should I bother doing this in the first place? And then I have that fucking discussion with myself that invariably occurs where I say, you wanted this. Like, you changed the world to make this happen. You went out and found millions of dollars. Try finding millions of dollars in real life. It's fucking difficult. You made movie stars change their fucking lives to come stand and say things that you wrote. You wanted this, and now you're going to sit here and be like, did I want this? Of course you fucking wanted this. Stand by your decision. The other thing I say to myself is, what was the alternative? Like, at the end of the day, I can read as many bad reviews in the world about shit I do as possible, but what was the alternative? To not make the thing, like that motherfucker said in New Orleans? Oh, my God. I wouldn't have fucking rested. I'd probably die of a heart attack. To live not knowing what it would have been like. Like the, the unexamined life is not worth fucking living. Plato told us that, I believe you, I believe. So the notion of not doing the thing that's in my head and heart and I'm capable of doing and I could pull the means together to and simply not doing it because I'm afraid some motherfucker I'll never meet is like, he sucks. There's no contest there. Uh, the whole world can tell me how bad I suck. I still get to make the thing I want to make. And at the end of the day, what I'm doing now that's no different from the beginning of my career is I'm making the movie for me, not for anybody else. And that's the easiest and safest path because you can't guarantee, I can't guarantee I make you like the movie, you, you, or anybody like that. I can't guarantee I make myself happy. That's why I call the movies masturbatory. So you can't bet how the audience is going to be. Shit, man, even a Marvel movie can't bet on how the audience is going to behave. 
they can feel pretty good about shit. Like, by the time Avengers 2 comes out, they're like, we think we're going to do all right. But they don't fucking know for sure. Nobody can guarantee that thing. Shit, remember when fucking uh, The Dark Knight Rises came out? Nobody could have planned for somebody to walk into a movie theater and kill a bunch of people with automatic weapons. Things change. Like, you can't guarantee what will happen to the art once you're done making it. The only thing you can guarantee is how you feel about the art. Because you got to carry it like herpes for the rest of your fucking life. So I always got to look back at these movies and be like, I love them. I love them like fucking children. So I make the thing that pleases me. And if it pleases others, fantastic. Like, that's great. That means, like, hey, I'll get to do it again. But I realized that since making movies that nobody likes, like fucking Tusk, even after that, I get to work again. Like, you know, as long as you're willing to step up to the plate and find some fucking loot. If I can't find it from financiers, I've got my own loot and stuff. As long as you're willing to put it behind what you believe in and not worry about some motherfucker telling you you fail. Are you kidding me? You know how many times I've failed in this business? In this life in general? Fuck life. Let me just concentrate on my career. You know how many times I've failed in my fucking career? I'm the, I'm the crown prince of fucking failure in the film business. And yet I'm still here for 22 fucking years. Because there's no such thing as fucking failure. It's going to sound like a cat poster, motivational stuff, but... <laughs> Failure is just success training. You fucking fail, guess what? You're never going to do that again. Next Bratzy movie I make, going to be brilliant. Because I'll never fucking make it like I did the last time. You learn from experience. And you can't learn if you don't do the thing. So I'll take failure a thousand fucking times over not doing the thing because I was too scared because we might have failed. Like, you know, I'll remove the mystery from it, man. Like, you're always going to fail for somebody. Somebody's always going to be displeased with your self-expression. So you might as well make sure that it represents you as best as possible and make sure that you love it. Because at the end of the day, you're the one that has to live with it forever. People see a movie and, you know, in the moment it comes out and, and they're excited about it and stuff. But they'll look for a new movie tomorrow. This shit's fucking disposable, man. So at the end of the day, I can't make a movie and make sure you're happy or you're happy or you're happy. That way lies ruin. I can only make a movie and make sure I'm happy and hope that everyone goes along with it. So I'm kind of, the long answer to your question, <laughs> I'm kind of in the exact same place I was when I began. <laughs> so, so you're talking about making things for yourself, but obviously in the past you haven't made things for other people, you know, when you wrote comics like Green Arrow or Spider-Man or Daredevil. Mm -hmm. so how do you that's also for me. Yeah. Like, cause nobody yeah, cause is, nobody at DC going, please come here and do this. Like when I first got into the business, I, I used, film to get into comics because I loved comic books and I wanted to write them but I didn't think I could ever just get a job writing in comics because most of the best comic book writers were British so I wasn't so I was fucked you know was, <laughs> so film seemed easier to get into and film was and then because of film one of the first things I did was tour DC comics and I pulled it off uh, pulled the pulled off that sounds horrible <laughs> or sexy depending <laughs> I pulled aside this uh, Darren Vigendo who was the editor of uh, Green Arrow at the time and the book had like fallen way deep in sales. It was like out of the top 100. And I was like, dude, I honestly think if you give me a chance, I can put that book in the top 20, man. Let me write that comic book. And he's just like, You're, you make movies. And I was like, yeah, but I'd I would love to write comic books. He's like, they don't pay. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, because there was a guy who I saw do it for me. We only, you can only, if you see it, you can be it, right? That's what they tell us. I saw a dude, uh, Jeff Loeb who is part of the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sell fucking team that gave us, you know, Dark Victory and fucking amazing comic books. And Jeff runs Marvel's TV division now. So the Daredevil TV show and uh, uh, what was the one with the 
fuck, the name escapes me. Uh, alias, uh, but they don't call it Alias. Jessica Jones. <laughs> um, no, not Alias, that was another show. So he's in charge of those shows. And he come from comics. But prior to comics, when I was a boy, he come from movies. He wrote, uh, what was that flick with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, not Terminator, but the Commando. And he wrote Teen Wolf. And I remember seeing his name as a screenwriter in films. Like, this man writes films. Then one day I saw his name on a comic book. And he was the first person I ever saw came from that world, went to that world. It sometimes goes reverse, where people come from that world, wind up in film. Nobody from film was ever coming over to comic. It was a fucking children's medium or some such shit. But I saw that dude do it. And I was like, if I could ever get a chance, that's what I would fucking do. So when my films got picked up and suddenly I had a foot in the door, first thing I did was do that. I was like, hey, I make movies. Can I write comic books too? Because I'm legit over here, so I think I could bring you some people. So I had to come with an offer. It wasn't like, I'm a great writer. It was like, I could bring an audience. And sales will motivate anybody. If you could tell people, like, I could bring an audience, they're like, all right, I'm listening. But if you tell people, like, I'm going to do something, I don't know who's going to be there. People are like, oh, that's, that's a little <laughs> off-putting. In comics, I could tell them, like, I think I could bring the audience from my movies to this. It's not a big audience because it's only indie films, but nobody reading comics right now, so boom, this could work out. And it was because of Jeff Loeb and because of him that I became the guy that went over. Now... In history, when they talk about these things, like Joe Quesada talks about the growth of Marvel, the rebirth of Marvel, he likes to point to that era. He's like, our Daredevil book is what kick-started everything. And, you know, it's very kind of him to say that because we're all involved in it and shit, but I always ask him, I was like, dude, you better back that up. Motherfuckers are going to think you said it because you fucking drew the book. He goes, bullshit. You came from the world outside of comics and you came to work in comics and defended comics and talked about comics and blew them up and made movies about fucking comics and shit like that. So at that point, man, there's the turning point. He's like, we live in that world now. We live in the world that Mallrats kind of depicted. And he's like, and I'm not saying you single-handedly did it, but you coming over and being like, this shit's cool. It don't matter that, you know, you think it's for kids. Fuck you. You know, but at that point in our lives, most people thought comics were for children. But I was like, this is, this is as good as literature, it just happens to have pictures. And stood up for it. So other people started making the journey too. Joss went over from fucking TV to writing comics as well. Then you start seeing a lot of them go. I, I blame Jeff Loeb and Sam Hamm, the guy that wrote the first Batman movie with Warren Scar and the Tim Burton one. He did an, uh, a run in detective comics called Blind Justice. And that blew my fucking mind. I was like, this person works in movies and they're willing to work in comics? That's possible? If you could see it, you could be it. If you could see representation, it's important. It's weird to be a middle-aged white man talking about representation. But the only reason I'm here talking about it is because 22 years ago, when I was not a middle-aged white man, when I was just a fucking dopey comics kid, I didn't see representation in art. I didn't see my world reflected. Every once in a while you see a comic book somewhere, like Roseanne. The characters on the sitcom Roseanne read comics. I was like, holy shit, legitimacy, like in the mainstream. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was, I didn't have representation for, for me when I was younger. I'd go to the movies and never see me up there. I wanted to put me and my friends up there, not us specifically, but the things that we enjoyed, man. It's important to see representation. It's important to see it so you can be it. Now we're in a different time. 22 years later, it's her time to see it and be it and stuff. You know, when we talk about representation, this is what we're talking about. Not a guy who's like, I want to make a movie with guys in it. Like, they've got a lot of those now and stuff. But it began back then with me going, there's a hole and I want to fill it, which sounds dirtier than I meant it. But Rather than curse the darkness and be like, there's some shit don't exist, and I wish it fucking existed, just make it. And that brought me to movies, and then it brought me into comics as well. And because of that, because like I, I wrote comics and advocated for comics and go to every Comic-Con, 
20 years later, I don't make comic book movies. Yoga Hoser is about as close as I'll get to making a comic book movie. And I have directed an episode of The Flash now this year. But even though I don't have anything to do with the comic book world, most people associate me with comic book world, comic book movies. Uh, like, ask him. They ask me, like, fucking shit I have nothing to do with. What do you think of X-Men? I'm like, who gives a shit? What do you think of X-Men? But because I've been talking about this shit for 20 years, they're like, you represent this. So I like that. That's why I always push representation on her. You know, for years when she was a kid, she watched iCarly on Nickelodeon. And she loved that. I said, look, I'm glad you dig this, but it's fun to watch iCarly. It is way more fucking fun to write iCarly. So if you want to fucking, you want to have fun, build your world. You want to do that, you got to be able to write. It's not enough to be like, I want to be an actor or an actress, because then you're at the behest of others. But if you can write your world like Ben and Matt did, you can write a ticket elsewhere. If you do one more thing, add directing to that, you'll never go to anybody for a job again in your life. They'll come to you if you're free. But you could keep yourself busy from now until the end of time, and you could tell stories that you want to see, not just the same shit. Yogozers came from a world of taking her to see Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Iron Man for her whole life when she was a kid. I love these fucking movies. Why? Because I'm a man. I take her. She ain't got nothing there, you know. Not as much as I get. She's colorful things blowing up, I guess. But one day my wife told me she's like, "It's adorable that you think that she loves these movies as much as you do." I was like, "Of course she does. Who wouldn't like these flicks?" And she's like, "Is there anybody up there for her?" An Iron Man? Who the fuck is she looking up to? Pepper Potts, the girlfriend who runs the company? She's like, call me and bring my daughter to these movies when it's Iron Woman, Spider Woman, Batwoman, so forth and so on. And so you hear that enough in your life. Every time I try to take her to a Marvel movie, I have to get that lecture from my fucking wife and shit. It starts to sink in. And it's no longer just a lecture, it's a reality where you're like, yeah, you're right. She didn't give a fuck about this. You know, she, she can't relate to Tony fucking Stark at all. So rather than sit around for the rest of my life and be like, they should have made movies for you that I could have taken you to. I used to be a filmmaker, so I was like, let me try to fucking do one of these myself. So suddenly, like, the comics influence gets to play here a little bit, and people go like, don't want you to make a comic book movie. Not at all. I have no interest in that sort of shit. I like doing The Flash, the TV show, because they do a lot of heavy lifting before you get there. They've had, like, two seasons of that show before you watch a single episode, before you jump on an episode, so you don't have to tell people who the characters are. None of that shit, man. No backstory. You just have to tell the present story you're working on, and that's it. And you don't even have to tell the end story. It's not like telling a three-act structure of a movie or something like that. So I like going into that world. I think I fit very well into that world because it's all about character development. Like at Flash, they got three things they write on the board in the writer's room. It says heart, humor, and spectacle. And they insist that each one of their scripts have that before they allow it to be made. Heart and humor, I could do very well because my three pillars are heart, humor, and dick jokes. So I can handle heart <laughs> and humor. But spectacle is not my fucking thing. Never has been. You ask anybody, they'll tell you, you don't fucking know what to do with the camera and stuff. Good news about TV is it ain't the kind of spectacle that has to drag you out of your couch, make you go to a multiplex. When you make comic book movies, generally the ratio seems to be spectacle and then heart and humor down here. Marvel does it very well. Marvel blends the heart and humor and the spectacle and stuff. But spectacle is the thing they got to put in the trailer to make you leave your fucking house. TV is a different beast altogether. You're there. You're in the house. They just have to get you to turn over to that channel. And how they do it is not by going, look at a fucking spectacle on Flash, although it's there. How they get it is because every week you're like, I want to see what Barry's up to. I like his relationships with those people. I like how he gets along with Iris. I like, you know, I like the villain and shit like that. You know, at the end of the day, it's a show about a boy who solves his problems by running very fast. So there has to be some spectacle to it, but it's, that's not what tunes us in. What tunes us in is it's a soap opera. You know, you kind of tune in to watch the ongoing story and whatnot. 
In movies, soap opera don't get you off the fucking couch. Trust me, I've been trying for years and shit. Nobody watches a movie trailer of two people talking to each other, having a conversation, going, holy shit, I gotta see that. <laughs> what it is is things blowing up, or a giant fucking robot coming from the sky, or shit popping out of the earth, or the undead, or something like that. Those are things that make people go, fuck, that's worth leaving the house for, man. I'll pay a few bucks and leave the house. So I can never give you an image like that. I can, I, I can write scenes where you're like, oh my God, I remember one time they talked about fucking Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. I can write things that people say to each other, but I can never show you a visual that will make you grab your coat and leave the house unless it's on TV and you're like, I'm not sitting through this and you're just getting out of the house because you don't want to be near it. <laughs> but I can't put a visual together that makes you leave your house to go to a multiplex. I don't have that gift. But I can tell you a story that can resonate. I can pull your heartstrings, you know. That sounds looks filthy, but I mean, I can pull a lot of things, but I can't. I can't fucking make you go wow with an image. So I shouldn't be making superhero movies. You know what I'm saying? I can make you go wow with an image and fucking, you know, yoga hosers are like, wow, I can't believe you fucking did this. He's ruined. But not like wow. Look at that image. Look at that giant. Like I remember seeing the trailer for one of them Transformers movies. And it, like they cut a building in half. There was this giant snake going around the building and it fucking came apart. And it looked like worse than September 11, 2001. But it was a visually arresting image. So much so that I was like, I hate the Transformers. I'm going to see this movie. And I went to see it and I was like, fuck, I still hate it. But, but that got me out of my seat. I don't have that gift. Michael Bay is gifted enough to put an image in front of you that makes you go, grab your coat, we're going to the movies. I'm the other guy. So I probably shouldn't be making comic book movies, but I can make an episodic comic book TV show. Flash proved that very well. It fits so well in that world. There's just enough spectacle where I'm like, all right, well, he runs fast. I don't even have to pull that off. Armin, a guy who does their special effects, the visual effects, he directed the episode before mine. He was the guy that built King Shark and Grodd. He's the motherfucker that makes him run fast. Like, fucking, when, when Grant leaves a room when I'm shooting, he's like, all right, I'm on it. And he goes like this, and then he walks away. <laughs> and they digitally erase him and shit like that. Armin will turn him into the spectacle. All I have to do is make sure that the heart and humor levels levers are being played correctly so that the audience is like, yeah, yeah, granted, he's got superpowers and he's going to go fight a big gorilla. But right now, I'm more interested in what he has to say about his dad. You know, that's how, that's the arena I can work in well. Because when I read comics, I was never the visual guy. I was never the, like, go to the splash page. Honestly, like, I read the word balloons. I'm a wordsman, wordsmith. So I glances over the image, so I have a general idea, but I'm right into the fucking words. So much so that we were at the Camera Obscura Museum yesterday, and they had this experiment on the wall. I thought it was awesome. It was words colored like names of, names of colors in their colors. So purple was in purple, <laughs> blue was in blue, red was in red, orange was in orange, green was in green. But then as you went down, they wanted you to say it out loud and read each color, but not read the word, but say the actual color out loud. So if you're looking at red and it says blue, you have to say red, not blue, even though you're looking at it, so your mind wants to say blue. And I went through it like that, man, because I look at comic books and I skip pictures and go right to words. So I'm a words person, man, in a big, bad way. Kind of, kind of come through. Um, did you even ask a question? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was more around um, how you would approach writing, say, Green Arrow or Daredevil, you know, because you didn't create those characters. That's true. Yeah. That gets, well, that's where the fanboy uh, muscle kicks in. I, I didn't re create those characters, and I've never jumped off a building, and I'm chicken shit. I'm not brave at all. That's why I love writing that shit, because you can write a better version of yourself when you're writing comic books. This is why I love comic books in the first place. There are simple morality tales about, you know, the worst thing in the world fucking happening, and everybody running from it, except for three people in colorful outfits running right at it. 
you know, that's inspiring. That makes you want to be a better person. Like, could I be that person in that moment? And no, I wouldn't be that person in that moment. I actually, I, I watched Jason Mewes three, four days ago. He was sitting in a chair leaning back and I was watching him do it. And I knew the chair was going to fucking fall and it went back and I just watched it. You know, I was like, where was my Batman moment where I could have fucking stopped it and saved him? I had my chance and I didn't do it. So I love writing stories like that, man. So, like, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I love morality tales. But I like my morality tales have a little less nails and crosses, more capes and fucking cows and shit. So when I write that stuff, you're just writing like the world as you'd like to see it, or you as you'd like to believe yourself you could be in a moment of crisis, which I know I never really am. So I write as a fan, and, and you know, it's weird because like I've never shot. I tried when I was writing Green Arrow, I, I said to her grandfather, uh, my father-in-law, I was like, he's big archer. I said, can you take me out in the yard? I gotta, before I write this shit, I should at least try this shit. I couldn't fucking do it, man. You know, he had like a compound bow. Helped me, and he helped me pull it back. <laughs> and the thing went to the ground, and it makes you appreciate like how much deftness goes into the Green Archer's ability and stuff. It makes you write it that much better. So that that's something like you know, even when I was a kid, I used to steal from my own life and just put those in the movies. But comics, I could always take a flight of fancy because I'd seen you know once again, see it, you could be it. I've seen so many wonderful writers, particularly ones from here, like fucking Grant Morrison, one of my favorite writers in the world take on characters that I love and present them in a way where I'm like, that's what I want to do. So when I write Batman, I don't write my Batman. I write Grant Morrison's Batman from his JLA run. And that's the only Batman I'll ever write because that was the best Batman I've ever read in my life in comics. So when I write, I write to his strengths more so than my strengths. I lean on those who've gone before and see what they've done and do that. So I'm at my absolute least creative when I'm writing comic books because you know, you're playing within a square field, right? It's like he's gotta be able to use that bow and arrow. This other guy's gotta be able to throw the billy club. He's blind. There's certain rules you gotta play with. But because I've read them all, and because I'm such a big fan, you could actually play. The same way like I'm sure everybody, this happens to everybody. Over the course of your life, you watch people on TV or you listen to people on the radio or you read comic books um, and you say this, I'm funnier than that person. I'm smarter than that person. You're probably fucking thinking it right now. But when you do that, man, like that's, that's a part of you that's calling you to that thing. Because you're absolutely right, but nobody's going to know that unless you take a step forward. Nobody ever comes to your house and says, would you like to write comic books? Or, hey man, come up on stage and express your feelings. you got to fucking step toward that sort of thing. So for me, I, you know, I've, I've read books my whole fucking life. The moment somebody was like, hey, you've got a job in films, I was like, take me to the comic book world because now I think I can get a job there. And in doing so, I wasn't like, let me do what I do in the movies. Like, I had to reassure these motherfuckers up and down that my characters like Batman and Robin were going to talk about pussy and Star Wars and shit like that. <laughs> but as long as you could show them that you could play in their sandbox and honor what has gone before, that's easy to do if you love the material. It's, it's fun. It's not as creative as the stuff I normally do because, again, you're playing, coloring within the line, so to speak, but you can take them on any adventure you want. It's far better than writing a cinematic adventure because when you write a comic book, you're never sitting there going, how the fuck are we going to do these things? You hand it to an artist and the artist is just like, I got it. And the artist puts it all together and you see it come to life. But when you're making one of the fucking comic book movies, man, you write a scene and shit, you're like, Somebody got to make all this happen. And they hand it over to a very talented director or directress, and hopefully they pull it, pull it off. So I like the comic book writing because it allows me to go ape shit and not be responsible for it. It lets me write a movie that I would never in a million years make because they're too expensive and stuff like that. Um, but it allows me to exercise that muscle enough where there's no temptation to go to big budget filmmaking. 
if I ever want to do a big budget comic book movie, I'll just write a miniseries, man. And, you know, I'll, I'll get judged a lot less harshly for it there as well. Because in that medium, I'll be teamed up with an artist, a stronger muscle than mine. Somebody who's actually rendering. I can't fucking draw for shit. So whatever I write, somebody's going to make even look even better. Like, if you look at my Daredevil run and you like it, that has almost everything to do with Joe Quesada. I was the writer, but Joe was flat out the director. And I'd give him a script, man, where, like, there were pages. I remember one page had 26 panels on it. Now, if you know a comic book page, <laughs> even six is a lot. And Joe was just like, Kevin, I, I, don't, I can't draw that fucking small. And he's like, but I think I know how to do this. And what he did is this gorgeous fucking page where an image of them, of him and, and uh, Karen Page are in the corner and then in the other corner. And in between, it was just, in between, it was just basically a, a graph with lots of what they were saying to each other. It's artfully rendered. Not what I asked for, but better than what I asked for. So in that world, it's like I, I write and somebody else directs. So people tend to like my comic books more because I'm not directing them. Someone with visual <laughs> style could pull it off for me. So yeah, that's also nice too. It's one place where you can go. Tell a visual story where nobody's going to be like, you're a fucking visual idiot. Which is what they usually say to me. You want to stop me, but I gotta I keep think going. Let's do like let's do two, I three more. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has to go, they can totally go. Can so. you talk to yes, uh, yes, yes. My bad. I'm sorry. I talk a lot. Um, when you were a kid and you must be here, what was it like getting uh, <laughs> I would threaten. I'd say, if you don't behave, we're gonna put you in a movie. Is <laughs> that short, sharp? Are you ready or? No, it's more like he takes the opportunity to teach me a lesson. Um, this morning I texted him and I was like, very first world problem, but I was like, my makeup artist isn't here, what do you think I should do? And my mom was asleep and my mom like always knows the answer and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll ask my dad. And then <laughs> he, Back up. he sent me like a bushel of texts being like, well, this is an opportunity to learn about self-reliance. You know, like, oh my god! Like, I can't even ask a simple question. But um, so yeah, I feel like instead of like pun, I've never been. Um, I can't even think of the word grounded. I've never been ungrounded or anything like that. Um, instead, I'm more taught a life lesson. <laughs> this is what it's like to be Kevin Smith's child. Harley, other than um, your adorable bunny, what are your other passions? Are you interested in comic books and drawing or? Um, my bunny. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't really draw that much. I just draw bunnies. But um, yeah, I mean, I love working with animals, and I I volunteer at a rabbit shelter, and I love um, I love building relationships with animals, particularly ones that have had. Um, hard past lives and but besides animals and stuff I love to write and I love I love to act <laughs> I love um, I don't know I love taking pictures mostly for my Instagram but I, I feel like I I don't know I've my entire I have the largest gigabyte phone but it's completely full because I have 20,000 pictures so um, you're a teenager I am a teenager <laughs> You, you your phone is full too. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> how is your on-set relationship? How is it? How is it directing your daughter, and how is it being directed by your dad? You go first. Make him leave the room. <laughs> um, 
I mean, it's, it's not that much different because he always drugs me in real life too, <laughs> as I explained uh, moments ago. But um, I mean, it's awesome. We both luckily love the same things and have the same passions. So it's really cool to connect with your parents on that level too. Because a lot of my friends don't even really have that strong of relationships with their parents. And I've I definitely have strong relationships with my parents, but on top of that, I'm able to work with them and do what I love with them. It makes me understand them on a whole new level, which is really cool. Um, are you okay with it? Earlier, he basically intimated that he wanted a boy, so he could take him to the comic book movies. When did I say that? So you can't take him to the comic book movies. Oh, but I didn't mean I wanted a boy. I just took it to movies that I liked. We wanted a girl big time. Sorry, I'm just trying to create some kind of friction. <laughs> <laughs> this is juicy material. <laughs> She's got enough reasons to hate me just for yoga. She <laughs> the manufacturer stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, we always wanted a girl. We always wanted a girl, and we, we so didn't want a boy that we not only wanted a girl, we wanted her to grow up to be a lesbian. <laughs> we kept telling her whole life, like, girls are amazing, boys are so bad. But uh, she got a boyfriend for a few years now. He's a nice guy, we like him. He's practically a lesbian. <laughs> He's very welcome in our house. But yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's, um, yeah, when's the last time you played bass? You haven't played bass in a while. Uh, I haven't. I actually played before we left. Did you really? I, yeah, I wanted to start doing it now. You should, man. I think it's really good. So that's what she used to do. Cool. Are you in a band or anything? Do you have a band? I yet? was in a band for a long time because I thought that I wanted to be a professional bassist forever, but um, then I realized it wasn't all right for me. But um, I think it makes I feel cool when I say I can <laughs> play bass. So You look good, don't you? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Some, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm the, always uh, the They sing that song in the beginning of the movie, the I'm the Man song, is a cover of an Anthrax song. Um, back when they were kids, when they were both little, hanging out, taking them to like, the movies or Universal Studios or whatever, and they'd sit in the back of the car and I'd just play the music I wanted to play. And I played that song quite a bit, because it's fun for kids, because there's a lot of cursing in it and shit like that. And it's an easy rhyme scheme. Um, and it's got a lot of attitude to it, and the girls like loved it. Like she'd heard it a lot because I played around her. The little girls never heard it, and she seemed like uh, it was scandalous to her. Like, oh, play it again because there was cursing. So we'd always <laughs> play that whenever we went somewhere. So when I was writing the flick, I was like, um, I want, I want them to be in a band. I want to open. So what can I open with? And then I was like, oh shit, I know the song to open with. And I was like, they're gonna love this man because they're gonna fucking remember her and blah blah. And I gave them the scripts. And I was like, what do you think of the opening song? And like, it's good, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, you don't remember singing that song when you are children? like, no. <laughs> I'm trapped by sentimentality. Well, that's all, folks. After that, we were politely asked to leave the room, as Kevin was probably late for something else. I think you'll agree that we managed to get plenty of interesting anecdotes out of him, and I'd like to thank Kevin and Harley for taking the time to spend with us and have this Q&A that was mostly A, and thank the press team at the Edinburgh International Film Festival for making this happen for us.